This is the MFG Cast. Hey guys, this is Kurt. And this is D. Wyatt. And uh, welcome to another episode. You know, over here, and I'm guessing Dan across the pond here, you know, we're dealing with, you know, like, personally here we're dealing with the polar vortex, you know, it's just oodles upon oodles of snow and cold and why do I live here kind of thing, you know, it's just... It's gotten to the point now where I can't even go down my driveway to see to get in the street because there's so much snow. I'm like, well, hopefully I don't get hit by a car and mortally wounded as I try to pull out to go to work. Uh, but, you know, there's always there's always one good thing that, you know, warms my heart and makes me feel good. And that's board games. Board games. Yep. That's the way to go. I was going to say, I thought it was your optimist outlook on life and... Uh... You're overwhelming <laughs> positivity. Yes, yes. Booze also helps, um, but <laughs> but when it comes to when it comes to really you know making me feel good, board games is the way to go. That's why we have this podcast. We're gonna be talking about an awesome board game that's coming out on Kickstarter on February twenty sixth. It's called Thrive, and we have somebody that's actually near. That's actually a Wisconsin boy that knows everything about to do with all this crappy weather. And it's Adam Rayberg from Adam's Apple Games. Adam, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Kurt. Uh, yeah, weather is brutal here as well. Just uh, snowblowed 12 inches from the driveway when I got home yesterday night. <laughs> nice. That's a good way to wrap up the day. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Yep, it just... There's just some things that you just wonder, like, why do we live in this snow globe that, you know, someone's constantly shaking? But um, the the good news, though, that was my Valentine's Day gift. Check that box. Was it a snowblower? <laughs> it was uh, clearing the driveway. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's what every, everyone aspires to on, on Valentine's Day. Right. Who doesn't want for, wish for that when they're early? Yeah, days? yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but before we get into talking about Thrive and stuff like that, I'd like to kind of get to know you a little bit more, Adam, and about your company. Um, so the question we always like to ask right away is like, how you got into board gaming? You know, was it something that you started with when you were younger? Is it something you got into later life? How did that all shape up? Sure. Uh, well, I uh, played board games as a, as you know, with the family when I was younger, um, but it mainly was like a video gamer. So um, played everything, had all the consoles, and really got back into board gaming after college. Um, my parents had retired. They had brought this game back, and they said, like, oh, we, we had played this game about farming, and you need to try it. It's a lot of fun. And they went out and bought this. You know, they, they, they thought they had purchased the actual game, but it was not that game. So the game that they had been uh, referencing was Carcassonne. Um, so 
now now like we whenever we have a family get together you know we we play carcassonne and we're super cutthroat at it so we've been doing this now for maybe seven years i guess but it really was video games up until then nice so what so what were your what were your jams from back in the day what were those video games that you just stuck with like all the time um so i was uh, two, I was multifaceted for sure. So we, we were into the sports games. So you said jam. So NBA jam yes, of course. Uh, was a big one, of course. Um, boom, but then boom shakalaka. <laughs> any any kind of like, um, you know, platformer, like the Donkey Kong, Mario, like that kind of thing. Um, shooters were big as well, like GoldenEye, Perfect Dark. Um, went got into, uh, got into PC gaming quite a bit. So um, did did some competitive Counter Strike. Sorry, that's my dog. Did some competitive Counter Strike and um, all over the place. So yeah, and then the other facet too is uh, RPGs. So like JRPGs and you know the whole the Final Fantasies and awesome. you name it, I played it. Nice. Okay. Well, I have to I have to ask then since you played some Final Fantasies, what's your favorite? Uh, so so three slash six is got to be the favorite. Um, whenever uh, you know. I think my favorite part of the game actually is for for the people that have tried it or, or, or gone through it multiple times is you're on a raft and you're floating down um, on, on the way to the Velt uh, and you're going to be picking up some cool characters pretty soon and you're, you can like go in circles forever and I don't know why this made me so happy but I figured this out after playing it multiple times that I could level up super fast just by going in circles on this raft forever so I always love that about video games and board games like in real life going around in a raft for hours and hours sounds boring farming in a board game you know real life sound, I mean I'm sure I'm sorry farmers you probably live an exciting life but to me, that doesn't sound super exciting, but you know, in these kind of games, we're like, "Yes, I'm gonna roam around fighting slimes for eight hours. It's gonna be the best." It was amazing. Yep. You know, no, it's it's kind of cool because, like you said, how you played Final Fantasy and stuff. The one thing I noticed is it's like a lot of the people who played RPGs on the consoles tend to like get into some of the board game stuff a little quicker too, because it's that whole like, "Ooh, how do I figure this thing out?" Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a puzzle to solve, right? Like every every boss is a new puzzle. Um, they're throwing different moves or abilities. I mean, some of them you have to like freaking use a potion on it to kill the thing. Like that makes no sense, but it's undead. So, aha, you have to use a healing device on it to kill it. That was like one of the things like uh, I think it was like Final Fantasy VII. It's um, one of the, I mean, I'm sorry, ten. Like one of the enemies would cast like an undead spell on you and then cast Resurrect to kill you. And stuff like, or like, or cast like <laughs> yeah, max classic. healing, so it would hit you for ten thousand. So you had to like reflect certain spells and so you know it was like an awesome fight. Like I love those ideas in uh, these types of games. And and they also kind of had some min maxing too. Like you could progress through the game fast and finish, but then you could also like complete everything. So you kind of had your completionist, and then you're like, how do I beat it as fast as possible? Your speedrunners, and it, it was. I don't know. It was an interesting genre. I really yeah, enjoy it. I do too. I one of my favorites was I think five. I always try to find that spot, and I I you know I like online or whatever. I'm like, oh, I remember that. I love that so much, and then I forget which one it is. But I think it's five, where it's basically you you are trying to infiltrate like the bad guy, but you have to be you have to step in and perform in this play. And you have to rem- you have to remember oh, all of these lines, and they're like, "Here's all your lines. Now go." And you're like, "Oh no!" You know, and you can't rewind it. It's just like 
did you remember everything? You know, and it's like they'll it'll they'll sing to a certain part and be like, all right, what's that one word? Uh, okay, pig. Okay, yep. Oh, that worked. I got it. You know, and then you go to the next one. And it's like, lady. Oh, I got it. Good. You know, I just crazy all the things that they kind of squeezed in. It was kind of like, oh no, no, I was not ready for this. They came up with everything and anything to, to keep that that series fresh, and I, I mean, I really appreciate it. So then, you know, going into playing games and then going into designing games, you know, how did that? You know, how did that, how did that progression come out? You know, was it something that you right away, you were like, I just, I need to make a game because it just sounds like this would be a fun thing to do. Or was it something that you saw friends of yours, you know, get into it and you're like, well, yeah, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, interestingly, I, I actually saw iOS games start, start taking off. And this is when I started saying, that game sucks, I can make that. <laughs> <laughs> and I went down that road, and holy crap, like, there is a lot, a lot of work that goes into a digital game. And I eventually taught myself how to do it. I started shipping, you know, copies of my garbage prototypes out to friends. I realized that now I could code it, now I could do a little bit of art, but the gameplay sucked. So I needed to figure out how to, you know, how to design a game that was fun. So that's when I, I took a step back and went to, into tabletop design. And so tabletop allowed me to test things really fast and make changes really fast and iterate really fast. And and I, I just loved it. So I never went, I really never went back to the digital side. Um, I still will dabble here and there. And I probably someday like will try to make the white whale that, you know, is in the brain and needs to get out. And it's probably way too big of a game that I, I shouldn't make but the the tabletop really has been fulfilling for me and um, I'm able to I think bite off a fair number of projects over the course of the, in the last four years and, and really just keep doing new stuff which is fun. So when it comes to you know like testing and play testing and stuff like that was it something that you started small with friends locally or did you just go out to board game shops and go here it is. Give me all your pluses and minuses, and I hope to you hope to God I don't cry of all the negative. You know, because sometimes you know people have this thing in their head like this is going to be the greatest thing ever, and it's going to be perfect. And then people tell you, "Well, that's wrong." You're like, "Well, yeah, I know that's wrong, but I can fix that easily." No, you don't understand. Like this is not great, and you're like, oh, "What?" So in- interestingly, um, it's a really good question because the the way I got into designing and playtesting um, was a little different than I think you know, most people probably have, have a game in their head. Everyone has a game in their head. I actually submitted a, just an idea to, um, the tabletop deathmatch competition back in like 2014 run by cards against humanity. I was listening to a podcast at the time about design. Someone said they had done it. And I'm like, that sounds fun. I'll submit an idea. So my idea was basically ticket to ride with beer and they picked it. So all of a sudden, like, you know, I had three weeks to three or four weeks to like make a game and the idea, the rule book was, was fleshed out. I, I had tested a few times. People thought it was a fun idea. Um, but it really progressed after that competition. And that's when I really started to hit my, hit my stride of like, oh, you can't really please everyone. I did fall into some of those in early beginner um, designer pitfalls of like continuing to make it more and more and more complicated because the people that I, I was playing it with were like, oh, we've seen it before. What's new, you know? Okay, I can make it a little more complicated, but that's that wasn't really the point, and that's not really the point of game, good game design. I think good game design is really sticking to a vision and making sure that it's, you know, approachable, accessible, and hits your vision. Um, you can make the most complicated thing if you want to, <laughs> if that's your vision, but 
Um, that's not necessarily the, the approach that I will always take. I, I try to make things really accessible, easy to learn, um, fun to play the first time. So that, that kind of brings me to my next question. I feel like I'm just taking over. Sorry, Dan. But when it comes to, it's a question I've been asking designers that have been coming on lately. It's like, you know, when it comes to, you know, making games, is it something that when you have in mind, okay, I made this one game, I'm going to the next game. Is it something where you want to make something that's completely different from what you have? Try not to have any of the mechanics from the from the previous one or previous ones if you're doing more games. Is it something where you go out there and you go, you know, do you have a conscious effort to be like, okay, I want to make these different in themselves to where I'm not labeled, I'm the guy that does, pro-, you know, like, you know, this type or I do this type of gaming. It's a great question. There, there are some mechanics that I, I tend to gravitate towards auctions. Um, I love playing auction games. I love, um, I love, I love playing worker placement games. I haven't designed one yet. Um, I love interaction um, without a whole, a whole lot of take that, like a little more of a Care Bear style gamer, um, but interaction for sure. And I think that trying different mechanics out, trying different components out. That's where I, I tend to have a lot of fun. That being said, like all, all, all my games are very different. So um, there's craft beer, there's food trucks. I kind of group those two together a little bit. There's building swords, and now there's a two-player abstract. So those are three different, very different buckets. Um, strategically, strategically though, in terms of like game design and product development as a publisher, I try to make sure that I support the product further than just one game launch. And so... I try to harness all this creative energy to think of like what's next, like make sure that I have expansion content or the next life of the game planned out while I'm, you know, building the game for the first time as well. Um, so that when people, you know, get this game, when they, when they support it, when they, when they receive it, there's more cool stuff coming their way in the future. Um, don't, it doesn't necessarily need to be packed up in that first box, but um, I, I really think about it in two facets. So it's like, do all the things that's you know design all the different types of games but then also make sure that you really um have an ability to support a game once it's out there and yeah, not just like i like that it, idea because it feels it like it. you know especially when it comes to you know when you make kickstarter your primary avenue of getting these games made you, you can easily go okay well what's next you know you you, you can easily be like okay this one was fulfilled successfully. I got everything out. I answered all the questions. Now we can just let that thing kind of happen, you know? And and that's a huge accomplishment in itself. And everyone that is, you know, is able to, has been able to do that in the past, like kudos, 100%. What I'm starting to learn as a publisher, though, is that, like, that's not a great business model. I think that you need to really support a product. Like, if you believe in a product, you're belief should should go beyond just the initial box it should go into like what's the second life it, it does it get a five-year resurrection does it have you know new um promos or influence coming into it um or do you bring a new designer on or whatever it is you know like have a strategy when you build a product that will last longer than just that box yeah that's one thing that's really interesting with like a lot of the board game industry right now where it's um because not too long ago um Portal games, like Ignacy Trevichak was saying about the idea of the one print era, where it's like, you know, these games, it's like you can't even go for a second run because by the time the second run happens, people are already onto the new thing. And and that's like a definitely interesting concept about like, you know, how can you 
not wait until you find out if it's success, like what the game already have a life to it that you can work off of. And if the success follows, then give it that life, you know? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of publishers and I think Ignacy, what he has done is like, he, he uses like story and like campaigns. Um, that's kind of his MO. That's what I've seen. I, I, I look at, I look at some of these companies out there too. And they're like, I look at them as role models of like, they're doing it right. They're succeeding. They have a strategy versus just like the one and done, you know, like what's the next game coming out? Um, how do I, how do I make a splash on Kickstarter next time? And I, I think that's a dangerous kind of a dangerous landscape. I was going to say, it's always bad when like your inbox is inundated with like, Hey, you know, while you're backing our Kickstarter, don't forget to check out our Kickstarter. And then like in two months from now, we're launching this project oh, and you're like, you want me to buy four games and one of them isn't even made yet. <laughs> yeah i i will say too um I, i've seen a few companies come through like and i think they have a lot of resources and, and they're coming through with saying like we're gonna have a kickstarter every every month for this year and like i get i get really you know i get really worried uh when 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 that that happens because i think that is starting to abuse the plat uh, the platform a little bit i think every game should be should be really thought through does this is this game like fit that this kickstarter model do we think we can like really make it a better product by having people influence it by offering stretch goals um and for me like quality over quantity has been a really good push that being said i don't have like 10 people i can just throw projects to either so i really need to pick and choose like the best the best that i want to bring to life yeah it's like you kind of just look in the mirror and you're like hey you are you ready to work today let's do this (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely there's a crunch time about it too like kickstarter is nerve-wracking and like i'm kind of like two weeks out right now so the graphic design it gets real i do all the graphic design in-house myself i have artists that are um phenomenal uh produce amazing artwork for me but then i will you know craft that into something that is legible and um, understandable and you know compelling from a project page and then also you know, translate that into a printer-friendly file set as well. Yeah, it's just like, um, because one of the things is, with what you were talking about, like how some of the, you know, bigger companies abuse it and everything, um, you know, uh, it's actually Dan Hughes uh, from Sporadically Bored. He was saying that there's not even the cult of the new anymore. There's like the cult of it hasn't even happened yet. Where it's just like a wave of people that only seem to ride out backing things on Kickstarter and like never talking about those things when they come to be, you know? And it's, uh, it's like one of those things, like, I don't know, for me, it's almost like it has been giving me a little bit of burnout on like the hobby where it's like this concept of like, Oh man, did you back this? Did you back this? It's like, no, I, I just want to play board games. I want to play things that are here that I can touch, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. I, um, as, I mean, as a small indie, right? Like I, I, I want to, you know, make, make these cool new products come to life and Kickstarter is a great tool. I think, um, small companies can use it really well. I think big companies can use it really well. Also, yeah. every project doesn't need to go through there in my opinion, especially like, you know, expansions or reprints. Like to me, those don't necessarily seem like the right candidates for, for the Kickstarter model. That being said, though, like I, I think um, 
you know, for again, like I said before, for anyone who brings, you know, brings the community, brings the brings the excitement, gets a product um, to come to life, like kudos to them. Um, but but I agree, like if if people are not actually playing the game when it's shipped out, that's that's kind of a sad state. Um, I was I was really happy to see that my my most recent product that has come to life, Swordcrafters. The feedback when people received the box, they, they opened it. They wanted to see if this thing worked. Like they were curious as heck about it, and that was cool. Like this was probably the most played out of all the Kickstarter you know projects that I've had in the past, and this was the most recent one. So I think that was a really a really uh, good story. Not every game is like that, and I I certainly have myself. I'm a, I'm a Kickstarter fan. Like I will support friends first, um, but then also projects I think are really compelling and cool and but I don't always open them right away. Yeah, it's like, for me, I kind of like, I feel like lately um, Kickstarter has almost become like the iTunes of board games. <laughs> okay. You know, because, and it's like one of those things where it's like, so if, you, if you're looking up for a genre and you're you're looking for like, say like bands or whatever you haven't heard of, you know, that's a cool platform. But the problem is everyone is on there and like whatever the top hundred songs are is most likely what's going to keep getting downloaded instead of new things getting discovered. And, like, with Kickstarter, it's kind of the same because it's, you know, you see some of these projects where, like, with Coolman, you're not. They noted, like, their revenue was down $4 million this year. They're still here, though. So, like, the fact that they can they made $4 million less than the year before kind of, to me, says they don't need Kickstarter, but it's kind of like a safety blanket for them. It's like, well, you know, we're, like, our revenue is down, but we didn't actually lose money because we didn't put anything out. So, for know, sure. it's not for us. For sure. I, you know, and, a demand tool, right? Like gauge the demand, calculate the risk. Um, and that's, that's an effective tool for anyone that uses it, to be honest, like making a new thing. Like you should use, you should ask your friends and family if they think this is a good idea. If you can take that one level further, I think that's good as well. Um, if, if it becomes just too much and like, you know, it, there, there can be burnout. Absolutely. I think what, what makes sense for, for creators these days is, finding something that is a really compelling value proposition. So I, I hate to say like make something exclusive, but make something that you're not necessarily going to release to the, to the, to the hobby right away. Like say, if you back me on Kickstarter, like you're going to get this first and no one else is going to get it for like six months. Like I'm just not going to sell it. So boom, you can, you know, like I'm not going to price gouge. I'm not going to, you know, play games, but you're going to have this thing right away and no one else will have it for six months, whatever, whatever. I think those are compelling potential situations. Um, but again, you know, to your point, like we've gone through these really interesting ebbs and flows of, of this, this market and it just keeps evolving. And it, I, I worry that it's going to, um, to, to fizzle out as a, as an indie creator. Um, if, if, uh, these big companies continue to, you know, continue to, put their 15th Kickstarter on for like that year. And yeah, but you know, some of the, some of the projects really deserve to be on there too. Like I think that when, when they're really biting off something risky and something big and they need some funding to support like what the demand that the potential demand this thing can have, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. Like that makes a lot of sense. True. But I mean, it's like, it's one of those things that I, I like the idea of like the games that, you know, you haven't heard of things are smaller. Cause like, um, and by the way, uh, it was funny cause when uh, Kurt mentioned that we're going to be speaking to you, I looked in some of the games you did. 
uh, we actually saw sword crafters at uh, Hex and Company in Manhattan, um, like about two months ago. Awesome. And it was just like that notion of like, it's like, oh, it's a sword crafting game. And Kim's like, that's cool. I'm like, yeah, but it's not like, it's not like your dude's running around making swords. Like you're actually making swords. And she's like, what? So I, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's like, that's what I want to see on Kickstarter. Like, I don't need to see, like, it's like, oh, during the Renaissance, you'll be controlling these areas. And once we hit $275,000, we'll upgrade to resin miniatures. Like, I want to see games that are different, you know? And it's nice to know that, you know, like I'm saying, I'm, I'm hoping that there's an upswing of, like, a reclaiming for the masses as opposed to just the Titans on Kickstarter team. Well, I do think that we will see a trend of, like, table presence being a big a big force in games coming out. And so your your game cannot just be necessarily in my in my opinion it's not it's not going to have enough oomph if it's just 2d and it's doesn't do anything different so like you know yeah great you have new mechanics yeah great you have new art but like you need to like put these things together in a really interesting way um that people haven't seen before and those things are risky and those things might may take a little bit of time for people to understand and, and really grasp onto but um i think that we need to start thinking outside the box. We need to start think, thinking, you know, more than 2D in this industry. And and some people are doing it. I think those are the ones that are going to continue to get eyeballs. Um, I hope to be in that mix. And I hope that trend is right because that's, that's kind of what I'm basing some of my designs off of in the future. Um, just take take some risks and use that platform to take some risks. Cool. Now, the, the question is, do you want to try to emulate some of the bigger companies and like start delivering say 18 months late and you know just <laughs> not having any updates because i mean that seems to be something that doesn't slow them down in the slightest yeah you're going to emulate those steps or <laughs> um so i i i tried something new this time so i am so so again preparing for this big event right like a ton of marketing like i'm, I'm kind of like a one-man band I do have a designer on this pr- program um i do have some mentors that give me graphic design feedback help me with game design and development. Um, but it's kind of a one-man show. Uh, I actually went ahead and like wrote my up- updates ahead of time. And so I, like, I have kind of them, I have them scheduled. I know things are going to change and I know I'm going to have to edit it as, it as it goes. But like I have this, hopefully like a, like a schedule ready to like, continue to update people about cool stuff. Um, it is tough to get, to, to keep that, uh, keep that schedule going. I'm not the best at it. I, I know it's really tough. Um, I'll probably try to be better than once every 18 months and, you know, <laughs> delivering late. But it, it is tough, man. Every time you make a product, like, there are different things that can happen. Um, my tractor is pretty darn good, though. So uh, Truck Off delivered uh, early, I believe. Swordcrafters delivered a month and a half late. And Brune USA was, I don't know, three or four or five months late, something like that. So, um, yeah, we're getting better every time. Anyway, and you got to give it years. It's like apparently some of these games are like wines. You just got to let them <laughs> let, just the, get let the years roll by before you deliver. It's like now you'll appreciate it. I oh, don't forget to back this too. I hope that backers are are. Yeah, I know that backers are are very smart these days. Uh, they are they are um, doing their research and seeing if a if a company is out, has like outstanding projects, if they're being slow on delivery and communication. Uh, and those are big red flags for me as a backer. I'm not going to support that company, even if I think the, the game is cool. I will yeah. support the companies that are reputable and continuing to uh, communicate and deliver on time within reason. You know, like those. That, like I'll get excited about that. Yeah. So communication is key, regardless of 
if you're on time or late because, you know, if, if someone's putting their hard-earned money into something that they don't know if they're going to physically get until it gets there, you know, it's it's a good thing to have that communication with them to know to have them know that you're working on it to the best of your ability. The other facet too I'd throw in there is like price point is a big one. So, I mean, the the price point on these projects have have they have continued to grow like over time like the the I was looking at one today and the, the lowest tier to back it was $99 and it was like 15 shipping Whoa. and I was like okay, I know how you probably failed and you're a reputable publisher that has done this before. But that is just a lot of cost to stomach without being playing the game. So yeah. um, it better be freaking bang up good for me to, you know, and there better be a lot of reviews and a lot of information and maybe ex- access via PNP or digital. Like, I don't know, like that's just a lot to stomach. So I try to keep, I really try to keep things accessible in terms of price point and, um, and gameplay as well, which I hope, I hope does, uh, helps me. I also think that things like BGG, like the hardcore gamers, like the really heavy Euro gamers, um, tend to like dominate that site. So uh, you're going to get a lot of engagement and excitement about really heavy games on BGG. So like we don't, Adam's Apple Games doesn't doesn't flourish on BGG. But um, I still hope that people playing the games and purchasing them and and and, and enjoying them like. I, I really hope that's resonating with yeah. them. So when it, yeah, so it when is. it comes to you know having to you know find that avenue to get it out to people to let them know exactly you know what you have going on, you know how do you how do you do that in amongst this sea of craziness of between the big box and the smaller companies? Well, I so I, I tried one new thing this year. Uh, I started working with a company called Double Exposure Envoy, um, and this is actually a company that does some convention support would they be called dexcon metatopia and dreamation yes exactly hey guess what i'm going to in a week <laughs> that's awesome so so they're like i kind of kind of went in just you know hoping for the best hoping like um i could find like a street team ideally that could help me market my products and my games um because i know they're good i know if they get in, in in front of people's hands like they're going to enjoy they're going to enjoy them um, and especially sword crafters, that one has so much, so much curb appeal. People like just look at the darn thing, like they're like, "What are you doing over there?" I have no idea what this game is. Um, and so this has been a really cool new facet to find a new audience um, with, in in terms of pre marketing for like a Kickstarter event, more and more competitive. I think uh, th- this year I'm trying Facebook ads uh, on the front end. Um, I've actually. Um, uh, offered kind of some small incentives to people that are interested in the project early. So like if somebody has joined the mailing list, uh, before the project starts, um, they get, they get a small reward. Um, it's not going to be gameplay related, but like, boom, you, you get a little thank you for signing up, you know, or for, nice. for following along. Also, if someone actually creates the print and play for the game and takes a picture of it and tags it on social media, um, we're gonna be we're gonna be incentivizing that as well. So so I think like uh, just getting people to try the game has been the biggest the biggest help for some of my past projects, Swordcrafters in particular. It was almost impossible for someone to try this game without having uh, a physical copy in hand because yeah. of the way it functions and because of the complexity of the design and the three D nature of it. 
You can't do that with paper. You you kind of can simulate it with cards, but maybe one time. Um, and so that was really tough to spread the word, you know, and actually get people to buy in about the sturdiness and the functionality and the durability. Um, Thrive, Thrive, you like we we found a way to simulate it with pen and paper. So literally, it's an it's an eight and a half by eleven printout, and you could be playing the game, which is pretty cool. Hold on, I got I got to cut you off for one second there, Kurt. Uh, just on a quick side note about that Swordcrafters deal. Uh, you know, you, you keep mentioning it. I don't know if it's a post-hypnotic suggestion thing you're planting in my brain here. But uh, I think I'm going to have to check into that and then come July because um, the double exposure thing is actually in my backyard. Awesome. Uh, we get to – it's like 96 hours of nonstop tabletop gaming, which is awesome. And uh, I think I'm going to have to look into Swordcrafters and maybe I'll see if I can uh, run the event or two of it at the next uh, ex- double exposure event. Yes, that would be amazing. I keep hearing more and more about it. I'm like, yeah, I, I gotta play this. Again. It's 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 really good. It's approachable. It's like twenty to twenty to thirty minutes. It's, it's like uh, you just make swords. It's fun. It's cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. So you were gonna say you you were gonna ask yeah. A I think I was Kurt. gonna ask you about Thrive. I think until Dan, you know, was stepping all over my toes. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, so so Thrive Thrive is really neat. It's a two-player abstract game. Plays in twenty to twenty-five minutes. Uh, you play as a lotus seed pod in a lotus pond, and you're trying to capture the enemy um, and become the dominant species or the dominant lotus in in the in the pond. The hook of the game is that it essentially you're you're customizing uh, a pawn. Each each of your pieces is a pawn. It can move like a pawn in chess. But after you move, you place two pegs in uh, the peg holes of the, of, the, of the piece. And that that basically powers up your movement for a future turn. So now you can build a rook, or you can build a knight, or you can build a king. Like, like you, you get a lot of new potential moves, and the game really, uh, really sprawls because of all the potential options that happen very quickly in this game. That sounds awesome, actually. That is... <laughs> you know, I was going to say... Um, you know, a game about uh, being like a lotus pod in a pond. You know, I mean, there's hundreds of those every year, right? <laughs> it's the zombies of the. But that idea of an evolving game piece is fantastic. So this game was initially like an abstract, um, minimalist abstract. Uh, the designer rolls out this gnarly, like old T-shirt on the table. I didn't design this. It's a local designer named Martin Grider, uh, fascinating guy. Um, and he'll be at Con of the North this weekend, Kurt, so you'll have a chance to meet him. And so he brings these, like, you know, this gnarly T-shirt on, on the board with a grid, um, wooden pieces with, with a bunch of, uh, you know, drill bit screw holes <laughs> screwed into them and wooden pegs onto the table. And and he says, okay, here are the rules. And, like, you know, within one minute we're playing. And within one minute I'm already making the most satisfying decisions of an abstract game that I've ever played. And I, w- I was, within three moves, I had infiltrated his back line. I was hopping around. I couldn't actually take any of his pieces, but man, was I having fun doing it. Um, I ended up losing the game because turns out that putting all your resources into one bucket may not be the best strategy <laughs> and in anything in life, really. But <laughs> but the that, that gameplay just captured me. And so I, I went home and I slept on it and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I have to bring this to life. Um, we, we got into the theme of it, though, after about four or five, six months of conversation, looking for a theme that we thought would resonate with the abstract crowd, but could also really help us make the game beautiful. The, the pieces have 
a five by five grid of holes in them, kind of like a cribbage board. Like we were talking about this a little bit before, Kurt. It's kind of like a cribbage board meets chess is a good way to visually describe the game. And if you've ever seen a Lotus seed pod, it's got a bunch of holes in it. Now they're not necessarily a five by five ordered matrix of holes, but that was a really cool inspiration point to say, what if it was a Lotus seed pod? And what if it was, you know, um, you know, forming or growing its seeds as the game progressed and this actually allowed you to move around. And like, it just, we found a cool artist and man, the game looks stunning right now. That's awesome. So when it comes to, the placement of the pegs and the certain holes, I'm guessing that that directs movement and where you can go on future turns and stuff like that. Correct. The Each piece has a center peg. The center peg counts as the reference point for the piece um, in with reference to the board. So if the piece is in the corner's position, the center peg is saying like, hey, this is where you are on the board. If you have a neutral peg um, going one forward of the center piece, that means I can move one forward. If I have a neutral peg that is two forward and two to the right, that means I can jump two forward and two to the right and land there. So it really allows you to plan moves mm-hmm. quite a bit, um, jump around really fast. But then also what's super cool in abstract games, I think one of the, my favorite parts of chess is when you're able to fork an enemy uh, and and a lot of times in two ways. So like you set up a set up a move where you jump into a position where they now meet, need to make kind of a a tough decision like do they take you and you can retake one of their good pieces or do uh, they avoid you and move their good piece out of the way and but then giving you free access to you know wipe something else off the board so there are so many forks in this game like every single move is setting up a fork uh and and, and then like that's the fast and that's like the gameplay satisfaction and fascinating part about just moving around this board so it's quick uh it ends pretty fast like once you see the the tilt the, the tipping point um it's not often that the person who who made one or two mistakes in a row will ever will, will come back but that's okay in an abstract. Like you can kind of call and just say, "Hey, like I'm not yeah. coming back this time. Let's reset it up yeah. and try again." And that's a good thing about a small game that, you know, or uh, abstract that plays quick and stuff like that, because it's not meant to be like, you know, well, chess can be like that <laughs> if you want it to. If you want it to be, it you know, you'd be like, you know, I, I remember, you know, trying to teach my son chess, you know, and he's like, "Ooh," and he's like thinking, he's like, "I'm gonna go here. No, I'll take you if you go there. Well, I'm gonna go. No, I'm." And then he'll just be like, oh, you know, so, you know, he's out of options. Yeah, exactly. It's like, dude, just accept the loss. It's fine. Like I, I'm not a good chess player. So eventually you'll probably get me too. So, and, uh, knowing when to, knowing when to lose a piece is also really critical too. I mean, I think you can't win the game by keeping all your pieces safe. And so sometimes like knowing when to bait, bait the opponent in, uh, is, is a really smart like and strategic part of the game um this game is a lot of the stuff i've done in the past have been has been very approachable and lighter weight this game is very approachable because it's like you can learn it in a minute but it actually i think it's actually on the higher end of weight spectrum because all the information is, is open and you can really look far in advance and what the possible moves could be um I don't like to play that way myself. I like to just kind of shoot from the hip a little bit and say, I think this is probably a pretty good move. I can, you know, put two of your pieces in a fork um, and make you make a tough decision. And that's how I like to play. But I think you really could, 
Um, you really could think, think, you know, really could brain burn this game if you wanted to. I was going to say, Kurt, like, like I'm getting happy just hearing this off because you know this falls right into that wheelhouse of, like, Santorini and the Duke. Yep. Yep. It even makes me think of, like, Onitama and stuff like that, you know, where it's like sometimes, you know, just like what Adam said, you know, sometimes you have to be like, okay, well, I'm going to have to lose something to gain, you know, an advantage, you know? So be like, oh, well, looks like I'm looks like I'm screwed here, you know? What? I'll just I guess I'll do that and kind of bait them into, you know, basically are, you know, potentially making the wrong move. And the thing that I like about this just even hearing this that it sounds really interesting is like um so like Adam, have you played the Duke? Yeah, I've played the Duke. Yeah. This was um that was one of the inspiration points um, when talking to Martin uh, for this design. So Onitama, the Duke, and uh, and Go were his three inspiration points. So like you know like those moments where you're like, oh my god, like all right, I'm gonna draw a piece. Please, please let me just get one guy that can slide. And then you're like, damn, because it. <laughs> it's a random draw. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I just love this concept of like, you know, if I'm playing this game with Kim, I might, you know, like knowing Kim how she plays her game try to make the pieces work for her but if i'm playing against like mike i gotta do something different because mike plays a little more defensive style just that sounds great for that concept like like if if your pieces can't make the moves you need it could you know because you made that mistake earlier not like i didn't draw the piece i want to like you take a little more you know of the hit on the jaw for your losses but you also can learn from your losses as opposed to draw a better noob, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, well, I I think like so so you so knowing the Duke, um, that has like a, a five by five grid, I believe of of you know on the piece and like a movement position on the piece. I believe Onitama is a five by five or six by six, and it kind of has the movement on the card as well. Um, this is is this feels very similar. Like if you know those games, you're really gonna pick this up quick. Um, if you know chess. Two, you're, you're going to pick this up quick. Um, even if you don't, you're going to pick it up quick and you're going to start to, you know, get into some of those satisfying gameplay moments. I think, you know, there's not a lot of randomness in this. We're actually working on some kind of next life. I talked about, you know, creating a cool product in a project, but then also how do you support that? And so the second second life of this pro- product is, uh, of Thrive is going to be something that adds a little bit more of that like unpredictable a little more player interaction um a little bit more arcadey if you will aspect to the game which i think is going to draw in a different player type that that wants something that they can like has a lot of variety to it so i think thrive i think man super simple elegant easy to learn very fulfilling i think the second life that we're going to bring um and i'm not going to like show too many details but i'll show you at con of the north uh kurt is is going to cater to a a different player type and i think like that's going to bring more people into the project more people are going to like it and and really be able to experience it in different ways so i don't know if i went on a a giant tangent there i apologize dan but i don't know no no i all this sounds great i mean even like i'm just thinking even that notion of you know, the players, like, you know, customizing pieces and everything, this could be a little more approachable than some of the other games. Because the other games just tell you, this is what you do with this. You don't have to remember. You just have to know if, if there's a piece there, like, that means I can move there. And that's, boom, you learn the game. Yeah, that, that sounds really great. I like this a lot. We, we even, like, we were, we were brainstorming uh, about this game design. And I pitched it to, to Marty, the designer, at one point. I was like, would this actually be a fun... Because, like, okay... 
Here, here's a little detail. Marty has a few, uh, here, here's a little um, teaser or leak of information, whatever you will. Marty has a few more designs with within this current system, within this current component structure. And he wants to see if he can get them done by the end of the, by the end of the project. So like there'd be multiple rule sets coming out. Like we're gonna, really gonna focus on making Thrive the best as possible. But if he can, you know, come up with something else that's fun, um, I want to let him do it because he's really been brainstorming and coming up with like these really neat ideas. So I pitched to him at some point. I was like, would it be cool if like this were like a, like a STEM kit of like uh, build your own, do, you know, do it yourself abstract game. And we thought about it and we're like, well, I don't think we want to do that yet. But maybe someday we, we revisit that because the yeah. customizable piece is a really neat mechanic. And I think it really, it really caters to that, you know, that abstract, uh, that, the abstract genre. And it's so easy to learn. And to your point, like it's easier than memorizing because I don't need to remember what the piece does. I just know what it does based on customizing a bit. Yeah, it's it's so funny because like Kurt, like that game Dice Forge, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, it's like this idea that was in Rattlebones and Dice Forge did a little better. And like, oh man, I love all these customized things. Never thought of anything customizable in a game besides dice. <laughs> you know, you're used to a card telling you, oh, you can now make this move or something. Not you making that happen. And that, I think, you know, all right, Kurt, th- this is going to be the first time you've seen this. Uh, we've done, a, like, you know, we've done a lot of interviews and talked to people about a lot of games. I am actually going to set an alarm on my calendar <laughs> because me, like, Kim and I, 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 I am a huge fan of these abstract games lately. Not only because a lot of times they're only between 10 and 20 minutes, but it's one of the few games that, no matter how many times I play it, I feel like I'm, anytime people want, I love me some Clans of Caledonia. Like, I like all those games. But there's just something about those abstract games, like, especially that one-on-one tension, where it's like, okay, you know, I gotta see, like, am I losing because you're playing better, or am I losing because I'm not taking advantage of your weakness? Like, are you a better player, or am I just not as cutthroat as I should be? And I love that feeling in these abstract games. I am definitely in on this. That, that's amazing to hear, Dan. I, I guarantee you you're going to love this game. Um, and Kurt is going to have a chance to play it this weekend, and so he will be able to uh, give it his blessing as well or not. But <laughs> Definitely. <yeah. laughs> well, as people are listening to this, I'm definitely I, – I think what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to tag on a little, uh, hey, I, I played this and this is what I think at the end of it for sure. And I'm guessing it, I'm guessing it will be positive even if I suck at it. <laughs> Kurt is not the king of the abstract games here. Um, oh hey hey! I'm not either. I'm not saying hey, I'm better. Hey, I'm just saying I don't you're like not you. good. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> but don't don't confuse this. And I'm saying that I'm a better player than you. I'm just saying you also lose a lot. No, but I the the only thing that makes me upset now is I know I'm going to get inundated with text messages of him being like a smart ass going like ooh look what I'm playing and like oh don't you wish you were kind of uh... <laughs> yeah exactly. There's going to be lots of pictures thrown your way and you're going to be like oh so sad. <laughs> so you're so everyone else you're going to be doing exactly what dan has just done and you're going to be going in your phone you're going to be putting on you're going to be putting on your calendar february 10th oh good lord you're not going to do it like that you're going to put on your calendar february 26th thrive by adam's apple games adam thank you for coming on this was a lot of fun thanks so much for having me yeah we'll have to talk about uh some of your uh, upcoming stuff after the fact. And if we get some more stuff on Thrive too, we'll have to chat on that also. And it'll be fun to see you this weekend too. <sighs> cool. I was going to say, do you have um, a quick rough pricing structure to uh, give people an idea what to look forward to? 
Um, that that's a good question. Hoping to hit the like the twenty nine or thirty dollar price point, uh, including shipping to the U.S. Subsidized shipping around the uh, around the world. Yep, very nice. Yep, sticking in that good abstract price too. It seems like a lot of those kind of go for that price. So that's so that's perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, we we didn't talk about this, but the the game the game board is like is fabric. So it's 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 cool. It it just. It just feels yeah. cool. I don't know. I haven't done a fabric game board, so I think as a publisher, like I'm excited to bring this to the table and and show it. And people are like, "Why did you choose fabric?" I'm like, "Well, it's just it's cool." Yeah. Well, <laughs> is, is it an old messed up T-shirt? No. It's, well, that was the inspiration. I just I just love the way that it laid out on the table and it had a little bit of wrinkle, but like it, you know, it just it, it was. Ah, it just felt perfect. So yeah. Anyway. Well, it feel it feels like it goes perfect with the theme too. You know, it has that kind of relaxed kind of beautiful theme to it so the i've seen the pictures online and stuff like that and it looks like a great you know it has great table presence which is also something that's very key into hooking in people to playing your game too for abstracts in particular Mm -hmm, yes exactly it's got to be a it's got to pass that coffee uh the coffee shop test if you set it on a table in a coffee shop Will people sit down and look at it and say, what is That's this? That's true. But then you also have to tell people that keep your damn coffee away from my fabric because if you get it messed up, then I <laughs> will be upset. And I, I will. Uh, I actually had a few people ask if it would be like machine washable. I'm, I'm going to get the details on that as well, of course. Nice. Nice. I'm sure there's if, – if it's not, I'm sure there's some DIY stuff that someone will be able to be able to fix something like that too. So awesome. Yeah, also, as a backup, as a like you know, last resort, you can always have the board as like a PDF if somebody has to print it out because like, you know, they wash their game board and it's shrunk. <laughs> it's like can't put my pieces on it anymore. That could hot water is a bad that idea. That could happen. We, there's a little bit of buffer space, so I don't think it. I don't yeah. think it would. But that well, could just happen. just Very just cool. like I, your favorite shirt, line dry it, people. You don't have to dry it in your dryer. Line dry. <laughs> I'm I'm also uh, a fan of. You know, as a publisher, I try to you know try to um, deliver really good customer service. So we do like a you know we do like a um, satisfaction guarantee. Uh, if you don't like what you bought, we'll just give you your money back. That's fine. Um, I had someone say that they lost four pieces of sword sword crafters the other day, and they're like, you know, can I pay for the replacement? I'm like, just send me your address. <laughs> like, like as long as you enjoy the games you're playing, it like that's that's what I really care about. Care about. Yep. So yep. Yep. yeah, just treat treat. Treat your fans the way that you want to be treated as a fan as well. Uh, I was gonna say he's doing that Stonemeyer philosophy, Kurt. Yep, I like yep, it. Yep, perfect. Well, and it makes sense because you know, we're if we're if we're put, putting your faith in if we're putting our faith in you, you should put your faith in us, and that's you know, and that's why the board game community is such a thriving business. I think. Totally. So, again, thank you, Adam, for coming on again, February twenty sixth. Go support this game it's going to be awesome i know it's going to be a lot of fun i can't wait to play it this weekend i'll be playing it what saturday sunday maybe i i told adam i might see him friday but i think we'll probably be there too late to see him then but we'll definitely see you this weekend and be able to get to play that awesome game as as well as maybe see some of your other products which i'm excited i'll I'll take a a bunch of uh sword crafters pictures too so i can send them to dan so he's also jealous about that yes well we'll have a few um like new designs that we're gonna hit the table oh, nice. too, like protos for the next year. Very so cool. um, I'll, I'll if I see, I'll poke you on the shoulder and say, you know, take oh. a peek at this because there's some some neat stuff nice. on the way. That's awesome. That's what we like to hear. All right. So thanks again to Adam. 
Adam's Apple Games Thrive, February 26th. I think I've said this 15 times. I'm going to cut out <laughs> a couple of them. Hey, guys. Kurt here. We are back from Con of the North. I told you that I was going to put a little something at the end of this interview with Adam. And we actually were able to play a couple of games. We were actually able to play Thrive and Sword Crafters, both phenomenal games, really fun. And then we found out about Truck Off, too, and we were so excited about it that we got a copy of Sword Crafters and Truck Off because we were just so excited about seeing what those brought to the table. So hopefully we'll talk about those in the future. But let's talk about Thrive. I think when we were talking to Adam about Thrive, I think we kind of talked about it, but maybe I'm going to go in just a little bit more detail just in case we miss something. Those lotus flowers that are your pawns that are moving around are basically a 5x5 five five grid. And you always start off with one red peg in the middle, and that's your starting point, okay? And before you move, you actually get to take two pegs and put them in any of your lotus flowers. You get five of them. You start on, on each side of the board, you both have five, okay? And the, the, the concept of the game is to leave the other person left with one of their uh, lotus flowers. And it's a five-by-five five grid, and when you put these when you put these pegs in, you put two at a time, and you can put them on any one that you want. So the first player gets to move forward one, and then gets to put their pegs on any of part of the 10 by 10 okay? So it seems weird because the first player gets to move first before they get to put their pegs in for movement, but that just kind of starts the game. And then the next player gets to do the same thing, move one, put their pegs in, you know, two pegs at a time, and keep going. And it kind of has the feelings of chess because you could put it on any part of that, on, on that lowest flower, to move anywhere. So you can go forward, you can go like up two and over two, like, you know, up and to the right, or you can go back two. It, it, there's a lot of strategy in it. it. It seems like we talked about it being like cribbage and chess kind of together, and it, that is a good, like, description of it, but it does have a lot more to it because... You're not you're doing more in chess because in chess you're only limited to what those pawns actually are. In this game, you actually make lotus flowers what you want them to be. So that's that strategy of advance and retreat. And do I want to sacrifice this to get get the other player's lotus flower? And there's a lot of good movement to it. And only the look of the pegs in the lotus flowers are the only thing that looks similar to that. But once the Kickstarter starts and they're able to they're able to find out how far they go in their pledges, that's going to upgrade it. So it's going to look prettier. It's going to look more like a lotus flower, and these pegs are going to look better too. So it's it's not going to have that look to that. It'll kind of remind you of it, but you know the pegs are the only thing that have that that sense of cribbage or whatever. But this is it's a great strategy game. Me and Logan actually played it, and Logan said uh, we need to get this game right now. I'm like, oh, sorry, the Kickstarter is not until June, not until February 26th, and they're gonna have to wait for it then. And he's like, well, we have to, we have to just do it because I really like it. So if if an eight year old can play it and a 41 year old can play it, then you could play it too. So that is our little look at what Thrive is for gameplay. So again, February 26th, go check it out, and thanks for listening. Legends of Tabletop Podcast, creating legends one die at a time.